Uh, we're in a series right now called The Weight of the World, and uh, it's a little bit of a play on words. So Advent is a time where we celebrate the arrival that Jesus has arrived, that has come, but we're also celebrating that we are waiting in expectation for his coming again. But in the midst of our waiting, W-A-I-T, uh, we are feeling the weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, of these things. And so last week, Tim talked about sin, the weight of sin. Today, we're going to talk about the weight of fear. Merry Christmas. These are some jolly topics. Uh, And then we're going to be talking about the weight of our wanting, the weight of our searching for joy, and then finally the weight of grace and just kind of how the the pressure or the heaviness of these things that we feel. And if you you missed last week, I do want to encourage you to go online, go to redemptionaz.com and listen to that message, not because you necessarily need another message on sin, but I just think it really helps to frame uh, this time of Advent and this season that we're in right now as we approach Christmas, and it helps us to really understand why Jesus did have to come. And, and if, you, if we're not confronted with why Jesus had to come, then we won't be able to fully celebrate his coming. So that's why we take a look at these things and the weight that we feel of them as we wait. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do something. I want to pray. I realize we just prayed 30 seconds ago, but I want to pray again just because this, this time and this moment here... Um, is so important. And it's not important because it's me up here that I necessarily have anything important to say, but it's so important because we, we really do believe that during this time we hear from God. And that's not something that we want to mess around with, not something that we want to have distractions either externally or internally. And so I really think it's important for us to ask God to speak to us, not just kind of presume upon God or assume anything, but really to stop And seek him. The scripture says, if you seek me, you'll find me. We have to seek. Let's seek him out now. Let's pray. Father God, we do. We love you. And God, we thank you for um, this time that you give us. God, we thank you for your your word. There are so many things about church and this time on Sunday morning that we take for granted. And so, God, we confess that as sin. Um, And God, we just ask that you, in spite of maybe even our um, assuming or taking things for granted, God, that you, by your grace and by your mercy, would speak to us this morning. Um, God, this is never a moment to make uh, a person famous or even a church famous, but it's all about the name that is above all names. God, it's always about your fame and your honor and your glory. And so, God, we just pray that you would um, remove distractions in this place this morning, that we'd be able to see you, that we'd be able to hear from you. God, most of all, that our affection, that our love and our devotion for you would be stirred up. God, we, we do. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Today, our topic is fear, and fear's cousins, worry, stress, anxiety, terror, and fear might strike you as not being very Christmassy, but fear is actually pretty closely connected to Christmas. So that popular hymn, uh, Little Town of Bethlehem, How Still We See Thee Lie, the hopes and fears of all the years in Matinee tonight. When the angels uh, met with Joseph to tell him that his teenage girlfriend was pregnant, they said, fear not. Fear not is actually the command that comes from heaven the most in the scriptures. The same thing happened to Zacharias when they announced his elderly wife's pregnancy. And also the angels to the shepherds when they announced the arrival of Jesus. Some of you, if, you, if you're wives or if you're expecting, you haven't told your husband yet, that might be a nice little icebreaker. Fear not. <laughs> Having another baby. In the classic Christmas movie of my generation, Home Alone, the pinnacle mo- moment of this film is when Kevin runs out of the house and he says, 
I'm not afraid anymore. And then he gets scared and runs back in the house. But still, he has that moment where he says, I'm not afraid anymore. And what about you? What are you afraid of or worried about this Christmas? Not having enough money. It's kind of a classic Christmas fear. I'm not going to have enough money to put on the Christmas that I want to have. Did, did the gift that I buy, did the gift that I get for this person, is it going to be the right gift? Are they going to like it? I mean, when you grow up and as adults, you kind of can, you learn to fake it a little bit better. At least I hope you fake it well when you open the gift. But you can tell when somebody opens the gift and they're like, oh, cheese grater. I wanted one of those, right? Are you going to have enough time to prepare? It's kind of a classic Christmas worry, like time frantic, right? Did I get the gift, run out of time, you know? Um, Maybe you're afraid of being alone at Christmas. You know, you, you actually hate this time of year because it just reminds me, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm alone. Maybe you're afraid that you're actually going to be surrounded by too many people, the family tension, all, too many people in the house, and all the kind of the, the drama that's going to come with, with that. Unfortunately, worry and anxiety are not just unique to Christmas. I went on Amazon this week and just, like, typed in books on worrying. 5,800 books on worry. The, the, the most prescribed medication in our country is, is medication for stress, anxiety, worry, terror, fear. Fear or worry is when we believe that in spite of or apart from my best efforts, something undesirable is going to happen and I can't stop it. Fear is when we believe that in spite of or apart from my best efforts, something undesirable is going to happen and I can't stop it. And we all know that worry is, is wrong. I don't think anybody in here would say, man, I really love worrying. It's the best. So why do, why, why do we worry? In fact, and Jesus asks kind of a version of this question. We'll look at it this morning. But does worrying ever contribute to the thing that you're worrying about? In other words, has worrying about something ever made it better? Have you ever improved your situation or improved the circumstance or improved the issue because you spent time and energy worrying about it? No. Worry, I think, has a couple different roots kind of things that worry springs up. I think the first one is conditioning. So maybe you were born into a family. Mom was like all-star, world-class warrior. And she always worried about you. Every time you went outside, she was, could just worry you were going to get hurt. So now whenever your kid gets on the bike, you dress them up as a hockey goalie because you think they're going to get hurt. I think concealing is another root of worrying. The scripture says the, double man, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You're stressed out and anxious and fearful about the possibility of the things in your life that you're concealing being revealed and the outcome of that reveal. Another root is the spirit of control. There are some people that they just want to be in control of everything. If you're sitting next to that person, don't look at them. It'll make it awkward for you. They want to control everything, not just their life, your life too, right? And if you're a controlling person or if this is kind of a root of worry for you, you know, you think, well, what if my plan gets messed up? What if someone doesn't do it my way? What if it doesn't come out the way that I've structured it or want it to come out? These things, these are kind of the roots of our fear. Well, Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 6. He addresses why we worry in Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 6. It's in the New Testament. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, either uh, analog or digital on your phone or iPad or whatever, we're going to put the text up on the screen for you. If you don't have a Bible at all, we'll make sure that we get you one. You just have to go to the bookstore after an Aaron will outfit you with one. Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 24, but what Jesus addresses here, he's the, the things that you are most devoted to are the things that you worry about the most. 
The things that you are most devoted to are the things that you worry about the most. Just, just by way of illustration. I never worry about your job. That probably sounds pretty insensitive coming from a pastor. But I never worry about your job. Now, if you were to tell me, hey, I'm, I'm going to lose my job or I'm having a really tough time job, I, I, I care about you and I'll have concern and I'll pray for you. If you think you're going to lose your job, I'll try to help you network with other people I might know in your industry. But, but whether or not you close the deal or whether or not you make the deadline on your project, I'm not worried about that. I never worry about your kids' grades, ever, right? Like the fact that your son can't pass calculus, I'm not worried about that. I don't even have a file for that, actually. Now, again, if he's having trouble in school and you come to me, I'm going to care for you and care for him and your compassion. I'm not worried about your retirement. I hope you can. I hope it's great. I hope you got all the money to do all the things that you want to do. I hope you can, I hope you can retire but I'm not devoted to your retirement. The things that you worry about reflect your core devotions. And so what Jesus says in this passage here is, well, what if you've shifted your devotion? What would happen to your worry? Look at, look at verse 24, Matthew chapter six. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says, you cannot serve God and money. And the Greek word for that, that's translated money there is this little word called mammon, which actually means possessions or stuff. And so as Jesus launches this discussion on worry and anxiety, uh, he starts this conversation talking about something that we probably all worry about the most, money, then maybe like your stuff and your possessions. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So whenever you see therefore in the scriptures is connecting uh, two thoughts and Jesus connecting two thoughts here. He says, don't worry about your life. In other words, don't worry about what you always worry about. Jesus says, I know what you think about every day, what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. Now, in our particular culture and context, that's, those aren't major concerns, right? So what are we going to eat? We're mostly worried about the, the fact that we ate too much. So I want to eat, I go to the fridge, or I go someplace to get something to eat. What I'm going to wear, it's usually more like, what am I not going to wear in this giant closet of clothes or piles of clothes everywhere, Right? But in this day and age, these things are very important. It's very difficult to get something to eat. Clothes are very expensive, so he says it. But if, but if he were here today speaking to us, he might say, don't worry about your retirement. Or don't worry about where your kids are going to go to college. Or don't worry about being single or getting married. Don't worry about being employed. Don't worry. And then he makes this statement. that is not life more important than? In other words, does life equal money? Does life equal retirement? Does life equal your stuff? Does life equal employment? Does life equal dating or being married? Verse 26, as Jesus continues to talk, he says, Look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, if you're stressed out and you're here and you're listening to Jesus, and he says, hey, just look at the birds. It kind of seems like an insensitive thing. Like, you ever have any friend who, like, when you're worried or anxious or fearful, and you say, oh, well, just don't worry. Is that ever helpful? Oh, like, pfft, I didn't even think about that. Why don't I just stop worrying, right? 
He says, just look at, look at, the, look at the birds. He says, I don't have time to look at the birds. I got all these things that are important to me. What Jesus is saying is, look, look, the birds don't have a 401k. They don't worry about a date for New Year's Eve. They don't worry about their kids. In fact, birds probably have the best parenting strategy ever. As soon as that thing can move just a little bit, it's just, <laughs> right? Some of you could employ that strategy. He says, look, the birds, they don't even try. They just fly around making tree forts everywhere. Are you not more valuable to God than birds? Do you think that God cares more about you than he does the birds? Because God made a lot of cool things, but only one of his creations is in his image. When he sends a savior into the world, he doesn't send him into the world as a, in the form of a bird or a flower or a cow or a dog or even a lion. He sends his son into the world in the form of a human being. So does God love you more than a bird? What Jesus is, is not saying, he's not saying be irresponsible in these categories and everything's just going to work out. That's fatalism, and that's not helpful at all. Say, so, oh, just don't worry. It's all going to work out. Because he's not instructing us to trust in fate. He's inviting us to trust him as our heavenly father, the father that the scripture says loves to give good gifts to his kids. And he says, I want you to sow and reap and store away in barns. I want you to be productive and work hard and strive for excellence and study hard and set goals and go on dates. But once you've done all that, once you've been responsible and done all the things that you're to do, just exhale and rest in the reality that God loves you more than the birds. And then you don't have to worry about what's next. Look at verse 27. He says, and which of you, by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan. Jesus says, look, if you don't like my plan, then just go back to your default mode and get hyper-focused and worked up all about you know, the issue and the circumstance. And then ask yourself, did worrying about that bring any clarity to it? Did it make it any clearer because I've devoted so much time to worrying about it? And, and, and it's not that we don't worry because we know what's going to happen in the future, because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But we don't worry because I'm trusting the only one that can do anything about the future, the only one, the scripture says, that holds the future. That's where the source of my not worrying comes from. Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. He said, look, the, the flowers don't work very hard to dress themselves, and they look great. Look at verse 29. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? At the end of verse 30, Jesus kind of connects all the dots for us. He says, you of little faith. You see, worry is a devotion issue. Worry is a, is a faith issue. Our emotions get attached to the things that we are devoted to. And Jesus doesn't discount what you need. He's not making fun of your need for a job. He's not making fun of your need for food or clothes. And he's not saying, hey, those things aren't important. But his point is, look, you don't have to worry about it. The issue is, do you trust your Father in heaven, O oh, you of little faith? faith? Do you have confidence in God's willingness and ability to take care of you? And I think where we get stuck on this is that we know that God can, but we don't know if God will. 
And Jesus says, trust me. Trust me. The issue of our worrying is an issue of faith or confidence of God. If you woke up every day, followers of Jesus Christ, if you woke up every day confident, without a doubt, fully aware and fully convinced that God was your heavenly father, what would that look like in your life? What would you worry about? We believe, and this, this is always kind of like, just kind of shocking to me when I really think about this. We believe that God is preparing for us a place called heaven. Heaven. We don't, we don't have any pictures of heaven. The scripture tells us a little bit of what it looks like. But, but, but we believe that one day we're going to live forever in a fully restored city. Uh, it's going to be perfect in every way. No tears, no sickness, no crime, no racism, no suffering, no pain. We believe in this incredible place called heaven that God's preparing that we're going to go to, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. But we don't believe that he can provide for us employment or rent or a spouse or any other number of temporal things that we worry about. We're to do what we can do, sow, reap, store in barns. Trust God to do what we can't do. Be responsible to now trust God for tomorrow. And if this is you, if you're here and, and this just feels like it's right in your kitchen and you're a warrior, anxiety, stress, terror, we all have a version of that in our life. Ask yourself, does your life look like you have more faith in your worrying than you do in your God? Do you spend more time and energy in your worrying than you do cultivating a life of faith in your heavenly father? If the emotion of worry is driven by devotion, and what am I most devoted to? What you worry about most is what you're most devoted to. And once you realize what that is, once you kind of do some homework and you pinpoint what that is, that you're most, the thing that you're most devoted to, ask yourself, is that really life? Is that really life? And if it's not, then maybe it shouldn't hold such control over your devotion, which is why Jesus starts this conversation by saying, look, you can't be devoted to God. You can't be devoted to me and your stuff. You can't have split devotions. If Jesus tells us to stop worrying about our lives, we have to assume that there's a way to do it, right? We have to shift our devotion. Well, how do I shift my devotion? Turn over to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, just a few pages to the right. Kind of a familiar story here. But how, how do we do this? How do we shift our devotion? We do this by seeing and hearing Jesus. Fear and worry are multisensory. Right? So the things that you see, things that you hear, they express themselves in a lot of ways. Fear and worry are multi-sensory. Our faith is also multi-sensory. And, and faith is the antidote to fear. The opposite of fear is faith. And it's not necessarily being bold and courageous. Those things are outpouring or acts of faith. They're acts of confidence in God. The, the, the context of this verse is salvation, but I, I think it applies to our discussion here. The, the scripture says, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately he, and the he is Jesus, he made the disciples, his followers, get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, the boat that the disciples are in, by this time was a long way away from the land beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking 
on the sea. So the disciples are battling this storm. Jesus goes up, as kind of was his custom, what he would normally do. He goes up on the mountain to pray and to, and, and to spend time with the, with, the, with the Father. And the disciples are out in the boat. They're out in the, in the, in the sea. And for nine hours, they're battling this storm. And it has no sense of giving up. They're, they're, there's, it's not going to break at any moment. And they're just getting tossed around in this boat for nine hours. And sometimes our life can feel like that. Sometimes it feels like I am just in this storm. I'm getting thrown all over the place. And I have no idea where Jesus is. I feel like he's just far off on some hill somewhere. So that's the setting. And then he comes to them. Verse 26 And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So they see him and then they hear his voice. Verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. A lot of times if you've heard the story, Peter kind of becomes kind of the central character in it, right? And kind of the punchline a lot of times in the story is Taz, you want to be like Peter. You want to walk out on the water. And I, and I was looking at this and I just, I wonder, because I've been in boats on storms, I wonder if Peter was just trying to get out of the boat. Because he doesn't say, hey, if it's you, could you just make all this chill out? Could you just shut this down? Can you just make the storm stop? He's like, hey, if it's you, I need to get out of the boat. So would you call me out there to where you are? And Peter does, and he goes out, and he walks out towards the voice that called him. Verse 29, he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus, verse 30, but when he saw the wind, which is an interesting phrase because you can't see wind, you can see the effects of, of wind, right? But isn't that kind of how our fear and anxiety works? We don't always see the thing that is kind of causing it. We just kind of see the effects of it in our life. And he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him, oh, you of little faith. There's that phrase again. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Isn't it obvious? Look at the storm. For nine hours, I've been being tossed around. We had no way out. I thought for sure we were going to drown. Look at, look at all, how high the waves are. And look at the, the wind, how it's blowing. Plus, I'm walking on water. I normally don't do that. Why did I doubt? Isn't it obvious why I, I doubted? And Peter begins to sink, and Jesus grabs him which means that Peter was closer to Jesus than he thought he was, which means that Jesus was a lot closer to him than he thought he was. The problem here in this story is that Peter lost eye contact with Jesus. And as soon as he did, fear took him down. The storm didn't, the storm didn't stop. In fact, the storm doesn't stop in the story until they get into the boat. And Jesus grabs him and holds on to him in the midst of the storm. That's grace. That's the superabundance of God. That's the unmerited and undeserved favor of God on your life. In spite of your fear, in spite of your doubt, in spite of Peter's fear and in spite of Peter's doubt, Jesus is holding on to him. When we opened this building, we did this video that kind of gave testimony of the, the 20-something years of ministry that's happened here on this campus and different pastors kind of gave testimony to that and it was a kind of a highlight film. And I remember Tyler Johnson as our lead pastor at, over, over redemption, he made this phrase that really stood out to me. And he said, I've always felt that my relationship with God has been way more him holding on to me rather than me holding on to him. 
And that just really resonated with me. And I thought, that's exactly how it is. That's exactly how it is. There's three things we learn when we see and hear from Jesus. So three things from this passage that help us to shift our devotion to him off of the thing that we worry about. The first thing we see from this story is that God is able. Now, God knows that he's able, but he always has to remind us that he's able. You might today, you might be one big mess of anxiety and worry and fear and doubt. And I don't know that you'll leave here this morning all sorted out. But I know that in the name of Jesus, there's power. I, I know that in the name of Jesus, that there's a power to bring a peace that surpasses understanding, power to calm the crazy storm in your heart and in your mind and in your life. But I also know that God doesn't always work instantaneously, and sometimes it's a process over time with multiple layers. And God might use the gift of medicine, and God might use the wisdom of medical professionals, or he might use people in your small group, your redemption community. But I know that God is the one who oversees and superintends that whole process to grow your faith and grow your confidence in his ability to do immeasurably more in your life and to break every bond and break every chain that is enslaving you. And where it begins is a confession, and that confession is, my God is able and mighty to save. Psalm 27, the psalmist says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom or what shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom or what shall I be afraid? God is able. The second thing we see in the story here, we see that God is present. God is with us. This to me, this reality, this truth to me is, is the thing every year at Christmas that just blows me away. I love that God says it's Emmanuel. It's God with you because that means that God didn't abandon or God didn't stay away, that he's not distant or far off. But God, knowing that we could never make it back to him through anything that we could ever do to be put back together with him at infinite and supreme cost to himself, enters into our mess, lives a life that we could never live, dies a death that was due us so that his rebellious children that just seem so bent on destruction might be rescued and saved. God is with us. Um, there's a lot of shopping kind of going on right now. And I don't know if you remember when you were a kid and you would go shopping with your parents and you'd go to the department store. And the best thing for kids in the department store is what? Is those racks of clothes that are like in a circle, right? The, I love whoever department store people, I love that they do that. Because when you were a kid, at least when I was a kid, you get in there and you got like your own little fort. And you're in there and you're in the store, but you're in your own fort. I don't know why I'm dancing, but you, get, you can do whatever you want in there. And you get in the fort, right? And it's great. And you're like, you're the king of Macy's or whatever. And you're in there. Now, what happens when you kind of go to the clothes and you open it out and mom's not there? You're no longer the king, right? You were freaking out. And you get all nervous. And you were in here and you were celebrating your independence and that you had your own spot and that you were unconquerable. And then you open up, mom's not around. And you start to hyperventilate a little, right? So what happened? Did I, did, I, did I stop being a son? Did my status change? No, but I lost sight of the presence. And that's what happens to us. That's what happens to Peter. Jesus, the scripture tells us, is the manifest or the made known presence of God, the radiance of the glory of God residing in Christ who now lives in us. And no matter where we are and what we're going through, his presence and with us, and, and all we have to do is just reestablish visual contact with him. God is able. 
Listen, I'm from the South. It's not going to bother me if you clap or hoot or holler. It's, <laughs> it's all right. God is able. God is with us. And lastly, we see and we hear Jesus. We see that God is good. You know, most of the time, it's not that we don't believe that God is able or that he's here, but we wonder if he's good. And that's why we always have to go back to the cross. And Christmas always takes us to the cross. God comes, puts on flesh, born of a virgin, born in a feeding trough in a cave, surrounded by livestock. And he lives a life of perfect obedience and humility and submission to his father. And he dies in the most horrific and humiliating way that man could conceive at that time. Also that his rebellious children might be saved from destruction that they seem so desperate for. God is good and the cross always confirms that and Christmas always takes us to the cross and when we see and when we hear Jesus and we are reminded that he is able and that he is here and that he is good our worry is turned to worship and as you begin to worship worry doesn't have room in your heart anymore look at verse 33 and those in the boat worshiped him saying truly you are the son of God and it might be that you've got to worship all night long, that in the midst of the storm for nine hours, you've got to worship. But you have the power in your mouth to sing of and to proclaim the glory and the majesty of the one who has conquered the storm. He has conquered your sin. He has conquered death. He has conquered the enemy. God is able. God is with us. God is good. We, we've been ending um, with hymns lately, it seems, in our messages. And I'm cool with that. Hymns are good. Uh, I'm going to keep that trend going. There's, there's one that I found this week that I think is really good. It was actually written about the story by uh, J.W. Howe. It says, fear not to trust me in the storm. I'm always very near. I come thy needless fears to calm. Then weary ones, don't fear. I may not always seem so near as thou wouldst have me be, but in the calm and in the storm, I all thy dangers see. And then I love this last part. Fear not to trust my mighty arm. It brought salvation down. I suffered much to give thee life, to give to thee a crown. God is here. God is able. God is good. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you for um, how Jesus shows not just his power over uh, the storms in our life and, God, the literal storms. Uh, God, and, and doesn't just give us counsel and it's not just pithy little statements like, hey, don't be anxious or don't worry. But, God, he proves it. He proves it in a life that we could never live a life of sacrifice. He proves it on the cross. He proves it in the empty tomb. He proves it in his promise to return for us. And so, God, we don't not worry just because of all these statements, but, God, we don't worry because of the one who made these statements and these commands to us, and, God, who loves us in such an incredible way. And God, I know it, it takes more than just one message to battle our fear and our anxiety and stress. Um, but God, I just pray that the truth of your word and the truth of who you are, and God, even what we sing about you this morning, God, would just wash over us this week and especially over this season. God, I especially pray for those who are 
fearful and anxious because they don't know you. God, I just pray um, that this morning, even this morning, God, even now, God, that you would reveal yourself for who you are, the way, the truth, and the life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.